Hey y'all, I'm Sandra Pham. And I'm Min Vu. Welcome to Agent in Austin. So, Sandra, I'm really excited for our guest this month. We've got Jenny Lee. She's an investigative reporter and midday anchor in KVU. And it got me to thinking about my own dabbling in high school. We had like this broadcast journalism course or elective that we could take. And I was actually like a morning news anchor for our high school. It's been like really long since I've thought about that, but I don't know. It just came up. I'm curious if that was ever anything that you got involved with in high school. Yeah, I think I've shared in previous episodes. So my career aspirations growing up were actually to be like Oprah, Lisa Ling. We grew up with them on TV, but we didn't see a, a whole lot of representation there. I did actually, I was in journalism throughout high school as well as college. I actually got into UT thinking I want to do broadcast journalism. So I'm super excited to have Jenny on. It, it kind of gives me a glimpse of what could have been if I had pursued the profession, but ultimately, you know, I switched careers and I'm in marketing now. But yeah, I'm super excited to have her on the show. Did you ever have to do like the morning announcements or what when you were in high school? What was like, is it yearbook or what? I did yearbook and newspaper. So it was a lot uh... of interviewing, like, you know, we would cover our Friday night football game or, you know, the controversy about our lunch menu or Yeah. I was a news anchor with one of my good friends, Elizabeth Troval, and she's like a great reporter now doing national news stories and stuff. And she followed that path, but I never really did. I was kind of her like camera person. She was like the on on air talent and also just like the actual incredibly talented journalist. And I definitely was like on air talent too, I guess, in high school. But yeah, it's just, it's funny to come full circle a little bit and have the opportunity to bring Jenny on. So I'm really excited. Obviously, podcasting was not around when we were, or it was just starting around that time when we were in high school. So I think it just shows that we always had an interest in storytelling. It's just manifested in a little bit of a unique way here. Yeah. All right. Let's just get into the episode. I'm going to read a little bit more about Jenny and then we'll switch over to the interview. Jenny Lee is an investigative reporter and midday anchor at KVU in Austin, Texas. She joined the KVU news team in June 2015 as the weekend daybreak anchor and a weekday reporter, but the veteran journalist has worked in the Austin TV market since 2001. Before arriving in Austin, Jenny worked in Bryan and College Station after graduating from UT Austin. For more than 20 years now, Jenny has been breaking and covering stories important to the community and to the world. Her work has been recognized by several organizations, the Texas Associated Press of Broadcasters, the Lone Star Emmy Chapter, to name a few, and most recently, the Texas Medical Association in 2023. But the award she remembers the most is her seventh place ribbon in gymnastics for her beam routine in the eighth grade regional competition. And we'll learn a little bit more about that in the interview. Jenny was born and raised in Richardson, a suburb of Dallas. She's married and has 
a son and adopted two crazy rescue dogs and is raising all of them. You can catch Jenny anchoring midday news from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Monday through Friday on KVU. So let's get into it. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to Asian and Austin podcast. Hi, guys. It's so good to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. I know it's a busy time for you. So yeah, so I appreciate you coming on. We love to open the episode and kind of tell our listeners about yourself. So would you share your ethnicities and pronouns and any other identities? Sure. I'm Chinese American. I prefer she and her. Family's from Hong Kong and Shanghai. So people are thinking, oh, we're in China, big country. That's where they're from. But I was born in Dallas, uh, Richardson, specifically suburb of Dallas. I was born up there, raised there for a few years, actually went back to Hong Kong for several years and then came back. So that's a little bit of my background. Yeah, very cool. Well, thanks so much for spending your time with us. Yeah, like Sandra said, we're super happy to have you on the show. First, I have to say, so I grew up in Pflugerville, and I grew up watching you over the years. Oh, my goodness. And you were one of kind of the first local Asian faces that I was able to see on screen. So it's, I'm kind of a little bit freaking out right now that we have you on the show. And it's just so appreciative to be able to chat with you. And so I think I'm curious, you know, where did journalism fall in line for you in terms of a a career that you wanted to pursue? How did that begin? I think officially it began in high school. I was part of our high school paper. It was called The Rampage. But even before that, the curiosity gene bit me. I was always asking why and wondering, how does something happen? How did this become this? So, you know, in retrospect, it started a lot earlier, but officially in high school, I wanted to be a, a newspaper reporter. When I went to UT Austin, I wanted to be a magazine reporter. And then when I did my thousands of internships with TV stations, that's when I knew I wanted to do TV. The immediacy of it, just the adrenaline rush of live TV, that kind of bit me. And I've loved it ever since. Jenny, what's so funny is... I haven't told you this, but I was the editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper. It was called The Rampage. Was it? <laughs> Did you go to Bergner High School? No, I went to a high school in Houston. But funny enough, I also, when I rolled into UT, I it brought, I went to broadcast journalism, but I switched out. The sequence? So, yeah. So I'm just having this moment. I was like, well, there's a lot of similarities. We're bonding, there. Sandra. We're bonding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just the sequence taught me so much. And Here's something interesting. Bob Buckaloo, my professor, my senior year, works here as an executive producer. So it's sort of full circle for me. He was such a great professor and he's still nurturing a lot of our newer talent here. That's amazing. And I'm curious, starting in high school, I'm curious how your parents were receptive or not maybe to this like career path it's a little maybe more non-traditional but yeah i'm curious how that experience was like as fellow asians you guys know asian parents aren't too keen about their kids going into something like journalism that doesn't make a whole bunch of money my dad wanted me to be a lawyer even after college and i've been in the field for a bit he's like are you done yet can you go to law school now but now he gets it is proud. But yeah, in the early days, what are you doing? You're making pennies. (laughs) So you really have to love this, right? 
because it's not a high paying job, really. Yeah, yeah, that resonates a lot with me. <laughs> and we know from your bio, you shared a fun tidbit about being in gymnastics at, at an <laughs> early age. And so I'm curious, where where did that bug go? You know, do you still, is that still in you? No, but it was eighth grade and, you know, it was it was just an accident. Uh, this other girl named Jenny Lee injured herself and they knew that I dabbled in it just on PE. So they just kind of asked me to join. And I did. I practice every day. And and it was such a good experience being part of a team. You know, sports teaches you a lot about working together and, and teamwork. But yeah, that I will never forget that beam routine during regionals where I had practiced my roles and I was okay until then. I almost fell off, but I hung on for dear life for what felt like hours. I'm sure it was just like a couple of minutes, but I was hanging upside down. And I managed to get back up. So first it was laughter and then it was cheers, right? So that's a very pivotal moment for me. Just just kind of highlights that you should never give up, right? Yeah. What a time to like feel under pressure. And I'm sure like that carries over into, you know, being on camera and being live and reporting and et cetera. You know, I never tied the two together, but yes, I mean, right on. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Gotta it make it happen. Eyes on you and, and you <laughs> just had to keep going. And how... Eyes on me and my yeah. butt hanging in the air. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's but, yeah. awesome. Where did kind of the curiosity bug come from? You know, you you mentioned that that's what, what drove an interest in getting into high school journalism and stuff. But yeah, was that just, just something that came natural to you? I wish I had an intelligent answer, but I, I think I was just nosy. Why? 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 I was that kid. Why? 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 You know? And that's it. And so when no one else could answer the questions, I had to find out for myself. But that's, that's, I, I'm trying to think of that's it. That's it. Right before high school, it was just maybe after, you know, I wanted to be Spider-Man, then I wanted to be a firefighter, and then I wanted to be a reporter. So <laughs> it's all in the same family for me. You're helping out, right? You're helping out. The 100%. Community. Yeah. Yes, I love the Spider-Man tidbit. That's oh, so I love Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. One other curiosity I have. So I know that there was a little bit of a break before you joined KVU in yes. 2015. I'm curious what kind of brought you back into anchoring from your first stint. And then what was that time away like? What was that break like for you? So the break which was much needed. And I kind of just dabbled in just the other side of journalism, right? PR marketing, but was still able to use my skills. I worked for the city of Austin, uh, developing stories. And one of those stories won an Emmy. So it wasn't all for naught. But yeah, I got back in because the news director here at KV at the time, a good friend of mine, called and just say, hey, will you just come and fill in for three months? Jade is going on maternity leave. And I said, Frank, I'm going to Costa Rica in the fall. So this better just be a summer thing. And of course I wasn't, I'm still here. So yeah, Frank is no longer here, still a great mentor and friend of mine. So it was because of him that I got back into the business. Yeah, it sounds like it kind of reinvigorated this passion that you had. What would you say, you know, once you jumped back into it and you went with both feet and you said, hey, I really love this space, I wanna continue. And obviously you've built this amazing career. When you look back at it, what have been some of the most challenging stories that you've told over the years where you look back and you're like, I knew that this was my calling. I wanted to get back into this. 
Well, early on, I have different phases for challenging stories. When I was first starting out, I got to witness an execution and Terry Washington looked right at me and died. And man, for days, if not weeks, I had nightmares and it was just so big and, and, and so tragic, right? And it happened when I was in my early 20s. So wasn't sure how I felt about the death penalty. I hadn't formed an opinion, but it was the gravity of the situation. I was allowed to witness someone dying. That was challenging emotionally. My headspace, you know, I wasn't really prepared for that. And because I was so short, they pushed me out front, right? There's a room of troopers and family, but they're like, oh, Jenny, come up here. And I was right up front. And he looked at me and he took his last breath and he died. And I had that image burned in my head. I was offered the opportunity to witness two more. I stood in the back of the room. I didn't need to see the face of someone whose last moments on earth, you know, I was witnessing. So that was pretty heavy. So early on in my 20s, that was challenging. If you're talking about current time, I think challenging to me are interviewing people who don't want you to know what you're asking, say politicians or people in power. When you're trying to hold a powerful an account, they don't want you to know certain things, right? They have a job, I have a job. So that tends, can be a little challenging there. Another area that I find challenging because I'm in the investigative unit now, we have a hotline and people are always calling for help. It's It hurts me. It hurts my heart when I can't help them. Even if I don't do a story, I still call people and try to give them the resources, right? These, these people are lacking the access to resources that I'm fortunate enough to know about. So I pass that along. But sometimes you can't help everyone. I'm still trying to navigate that because I want to help everyone. Right. That's why I'm in the position I am. That's why I'm a KB defender. But that doesn't always happen. And I, I grapple with that. That's a huge challenge for me, for me to let go. Like my husband and I had a big come to Jesus moment last week when I, I literally got depressed. I'm like, I don't know how to help these people. The laws aren't in place to help consumers. Texas doesn't have strong consumer protection laws. And there's only so much we can do. So it's hard for me to like come to a stop because I'm always like federal law or or another nonprofit group. What advocacy agency can we look to? And more and more, I'm finding that that's just the end of the road. And I have to accept that. And the people are always nice as can be. Sometimes they just want someone to listen to their problems, right? It's just like when you're talking to like my husband and I, when I want to just rant. I don't need you to solve my problem. I just, honey, just need you to listen to me, right? That's, so that's, I find sometimes our elderly viewers, you know, because they don't have anybody else. And I feel like there's pressure to listen and, and just to be there for this vulnerable group, this this population that doesn't get much attention. Sorry, I had so many answers. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I think that is what makes a good storyteller, right? When you are able to connect with other human beings and they can express their emotions to you and, and you're also able to be empathetic and, and kind of connect with them. And those are the best stories. I'm curious if that was also part of what drove you to do the three-part series. I know you did back in 2021 about the contributions of local AAPI folks 
to the Austin community that was at the height of Stop Asian Hate. You know, lots of things were going on in the world, obviously, during the pandemic. So I'm curious if that was part of the passion that you had there to say, hey, my community is really hurting and I want to do something about it. Or could you tell us a little bit more about what led to the development of that? No, Sandra, absolutely. It was, I'll never forget when the eight women were shot and my heart just fell to my stomach. This is hitting a little too close to home. I think I did a big commentary how I was scared for my father and and my son growing up here in Austin. You know, you experience a little bit of racism for me. I didn't I didn't have a whole lot growing up, just some, just teasing, you know, nicknames. But that, that my people were being killed just because of the color of their skin. And I know there are other minority groups who are already growing through that. But yes, and I had friends. Those were all my friends that I profile. I've known about their stories and their struggles, and it makes them great citizens. We are the fastest APIs, the fastest growing minority group in Austin, in Texas, in the country. Why are we not seeing more people looking like us? I think it's a challenge for news organizations because, like you said, I mean, you said it, I was the first, like, Asian broadcaster. There was someone who worked in PBS before me, but, like, newscaster in a major network. Why was I the first one in 2001, right? Like, And we're still struggling with representation, not enough AEPIs on TV. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, so, but I did No, I, w- I would love to talk about it. So it feels like, you know, you were one of the few faces into, you know, the early 2000s and things like that, but we're in 2023. And when I think about notable Asian American journalists, those that we can, I can really count it on my hands. And so I'm curious on what your thoughts were. Is it just the lack of opportunity? Have we just not grown? We see this like renaissance of Asian media and like there is, it does feel like a moment is happening, right? Like with, when it comes to the entertainment industry and things like that, but it still feels like maybe journalism and maybe this is just my bias opinion here, but it doesn't seem like it has really grown with with everything else, the exposure, the opportunities. We're still, you know, when we look even on our local station here, you're still one of the few. So what do you think is, is happening there? So let me start with the good. When the Academy Awards aired and Asians just won all those awards, right? Michelle, I was just so proud. It's like, finally. And I think I looked up the numbers, the percentage of Asian actors who've gotten jobs this year compared to, I forgot what the time frame was, but the most recent stats, it did go up a little bit, right? So yay, us making strides, but boo on us for not making strides in the media. So entertainment industry, great, but you're right. Like Juju Chen, I mean, like who else is out there? I know there are a couple of others out there, but growing up, you mentioned in your list of questions, Connie Chung, Lisa Ling, that's it. Connie Chung was the only person that looked like me on TV growing up. Like Peter Jennings was an idol of mine because he, you know, did so well. But Connie came in a little bit later and not for long, as you know, right? She was CBS uh, co-anchor with Dan Rather for, for a little bit. But that's it. Having said that, better than nothing. But we still need to do a better job. I think it's not lack of opportunity, but just lack of hiring. We're not, it seems like I'm hearing that Asians aren't the right fit a lot. That's not what people are looking for. When I say people, news organizations, they have other 
ideas, other people for those roles. And so what I have to say about that for Austin, we act like we're progressive, but we're really not progressive. If, again, this is grown minority group, why are companies not acknowledging that, right? So here at KBU Techno, we're real big on DEI, and that's great, but not everyone subscribes to those ideas. I think you can look at which TV stations and what faces you see, and you can kind of figure out what's important to them. But we have a long way to go, Sandra, long way to go. In 2023, we are not there yet. We're not even halfway there yet. Yeah. And I I wonder, I'm curious too, you know, for you, knowing that there were so few when you were even like going in, what was that experience like for you? Was it intimidating? Was it motivating in some ways to be, you know, a, a trailblazer? Yeah. What was, what were the, those early days like for you? I think it's a little bit of both. Oh my goodness. My first job was in Bryan College Station. So the only Asian thing yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so it was intimidating in that sense, but also some pressure to make sure I do things right. So people who are looking at me, because I was getting email already, oh, thank goodness you're doing this. I'm watching you. You look like me. I wanted to make sure that I didn't let them down. I know that sounds kind of silly, but like I felt a certain amount of pressure on myself that no one put on me. But if I'm going to be one of the first, I want to do it right, and I want to do a really good job at it, right? So yeah, it was a little bit of both. Yeah, and there's always sometimes, too, it's a tricky balance because there's this undue burden that we may have as being some of the first or some of kind of pioneering or trailblazing a path, and you want to be able to be a good representation, but you also want to be true to yourself and who you are, and we can't represent everyone and, and be that for everyone but it's such a tricky balance sometimes when that becomes the case for what it's worth you've done such a beautiful job and so i do appreciate the work that you've been able to do so jenny as you were mentioning some of the stories challenging stories that you've had to share in the past i couldn't help but think about how heavy those must weigh when you're experiencing that and it made me curious how you're able to turn that off when you go home and just not carry that with you. Because I imagine that's a lot. These are heavy issues. These are heavy stories to report on and investigate in on. I'm just curious what you're, how you handle that. Sometimes you can separate yourself, right, from political issues. Here's one side, here's the other. You're crazy, you're crazy, the end. But some stories hit too close to home. So after I just had my son. I came back and was reporting. I had to go out and cover a house fire where a two-month-old baby died, and I couldn't. I did my stand. I did my live shot at ten and cried right after that because you know you change, you grow, and you change, and your priorities change. And I just could not ever imagine a baby dying like that. Thinking of my child, and you can't separate it. And I think that's okay. You separate what you can, but the ones that hit your heart, they hit your heart. You kind of digest everything. And by the time you get home, you have your family to deal with. I have two crazy rescue dogs too. So that kind of helps. Dogs are great. I love cats too. My husband won't let me have a cat though. So two crazy dogs it is. So that helps. You know, you have priorities at home that you got to attend to. 
and that takes your mind off it. But you know, I go over the day in my mind. So I, I can't sleep. I don't sleep well. I'm not what you call an easy sleeper, right? So I do internalize things. I don't recommend it. I can't help it, right? Because everything I take, I try not to take personally, but it still has impacted me and my life, even though it was just kind of a snippet of my day. Now with my investigations, they're months long. So now things are affecting me longer. I'm mulling over things longer, but man, it's hard. When you can, you can, but when you can't, maybe talk it out. If people are listening, like I, I have my husband as a sounding board. I talk it out with Erica Proffer, who's my fellow investigator here. We we fortunately have our own office and we're able to just kind of bounce things back and forth with each other. The pandemic really did a number on our mental health. So I think more than ever, we have to be there for each other. That's part of the deal now. And you're having a hard time with the story. Everybody here, I think in one of your questions, why did I stay here? Uh, it's been eight years because KVU is a family. They care about you first and it's, that's not a line. Really, whatever you have going on, they'll work with you because they know that work-life balance is so important now more than ever. So that's kind of why I've kind of stuck around here. They've been so understanding. Everybody has family issues. You can't just separate your personal life from your work life. Like that kind of goes like this most of the time. So they have been great and they've understood. It's very different from other places that I've worked at, but this is a good place to grow your family and grow yourself as well. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm curious about some maybe specific examples. Dogs are a great way to maybe decompress and get some lovings and all that type of stuff. But is there other kind of self-care things that you like to do to kind of just get you more centered and back into a nice, stable place? Yes, sir. It's called Self-Care Saturday. That is every Saturday. I get my nails done. I will get a massage, haircut, facial, not, not every week. The nails are every week. Massage, you know, once a month, facials once a month. Absolutely. My friends make fun of me, but Saturdays are mine. And that's what I have to do. And I'm a person who has to be by myself. I crave alone time, even if that means just staring at the wall. I have to be alone because I'm interacting with so many people all the time, every day, every day that by the end of the week, I just have to decompress. So dogs are helpful. My self-care Saturday it is great. Yeah. And then lean into your friends because they're there to help. You know, I just finally had a dinner with my best friend whom I haven't seen in months. So you just got to make that time, especially in this crazy, ever-evolving, ever-changing industry of ours. Yeah, I love that. Self-care Saturday. Self-care Saturday. As you should. Yeah, you heard it here, everyone. This is, <laughs> that's good advice. And also, Sandra, I can help but think of you when Jenny was talking about kind of being alone. I'm like, I know someone who likes to do that. Sandra, you too? Oh, absolutely. I always say, I'm going to go stare at a wall. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, men and I are different in that way. So I do consider myself an introvert at points. Like I am very much, I need to recharge, be with the dogs, go do some Pilates. But like, if I don't talk to one single soul that day, I'm good. <laughs> Just, no, I exactly. that. And I'm learning. Alone time is good. I'm, I'm learning. No, I definitely appreciate it. When I was younger, I was afraid of being alone. Now I can't get enough of it. And Sandra, you brought up something else. You know, physical activity is important. Yoga, walking, like whatever it is, go out and just like 
think outside. It helps. Like as you're walking and getting your 10,000 steps in, being outside, nature helps. And, you know, we've got great running trails. Like a lot of people do it. Austin's great for outdoorsy activities. So, yeah, I feel that. Well, shifting gears a little, something, and then this is going to be a big question. So we can, we can break this down and kind of answer in how you would like, but you've had so many opportunities to tell so many different stories and kind of put a bit in your career now more so in the investigative reporting space. But are there stories or something particular that's on your mind now where you're like itching to, to tell, you know, like, is there a story where you're like, this is something that has not been told or that you personally have not been able to jump into yet that, you know, man, I would, I would really like to tell this story. I thought about that. And this is an unconventional answer. One day, many, many years from now, I would like to tell my own story. And here's why. My mom abandoned me when I was two months old. And I don't know who she is. For the longest time, I didn't know who I was because of that and the issues that come with it. People are like, hey, are you going to look for her? I don't know. I'm 51 and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's I'm afraid, I'm not ready, a combination of all those things. But one day when I'm smarter, I would like to just track my own journey. I don't know why I'm getting so personal with y'all, but like I couldn't think of another story. I've talked to presidents, presidential candidates, you know, just famous people. And like, what story haven't I done? I definitely want to help as many people as possible. But that story, I have just kept back here arm's length because I'm not sure I want to know the outcome. Like, who knows, right? So yeah, I've never publicly talked about this. But I love you too. Y'all, y'all make me feel comfortable <laughs> opening up. But yeah, that's a journey that I need to walk the path and figure out what to do when I'm ready. Yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for being vulnerable with us and, and sharing that. And I think that's that makes a lot of sense, to be honest. I mean, you spend so much time facilitating a platform for other people's stories and I think for us, like when we did set out to do this podcast, it was very much like around just broaching the conversation of where do we come from? What does that mean for us, for, for an individual, you know, and it can be different for all of us. It is different for all of us. And I think I just really appreciate you sharing that because I think it is a true and real thing, obviously. And it also is you've done so well otherwise too, right? So we support you 100% whenever you feel ready and good to want to dive into that part of your life. Or even if you never do, I think it is a personal choice. And it also just, there's a lot of good support, I think, in your way whenever you do, however you want to move forward with that. I love the positive vibes that I'm getting from you too. So thank you for being supported and so loving. And, and this is such, a, I feel so safe in this space. So thank you for that. I do have to add that I didn't know if I was going to be a good mother since I never had one. So I like I went to therapy. So I encourage people to talk about their mental health and things that they're afraid of because I, I think I was just afraid to talk about it. And, and a little embarrassing, right? But I'm older now. The therapy helped. Yes, I am a mother. I think I'm a pretty good one. But there was some fear because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a model. And so to look up to and, you know, if anybody else is out there in a similar situation, you know, I highly 
they can reach out to me and, and talk to me, but reach out to a professional as well. Yeah. It's about creating community. And I think wherever we can find that with each other. And I think we've touched on that a number of times throughout talking with each other is people just want a space to be able to listen, be heard, and feel like there's a sense of community that they can belong to. I think that's really important, Ming, especially since mental health among young people has just drastically decreased. You know, I did a story in May, mental health among teenagers, worse than ever, right? Starting the pandemic, it it's getting worse. And so I'm afraid, and you know, the two suicides that happened at Austin ISD last week, my son goes to Austin ISD. That's just shocking for young people to think that there's no other way but that way. So you know, right then and there, I just decided I'm going to talk about everything and and it's okay. And it's absolutely okay. Yeah, 100%. So I think one area that we're curious about, given that you've been in Austin for so long too, and have such a, a good heart for the community, obviously, and, and sharing so many stories here and, and being able to advocate for people through the investigative journalism and things like that. What brought you to Austin from the suburbs of Dallas and what's kept you here? Okay, that's an easy question because I applied, I only applied to the University of Texas at Austin. When I got in, that's what brought me to Austin. And this may sound silly. I didn't know what a butt I was until I moved from Dallas to Austin. Everybody's so laid back here. You don't have to get dressed up to go to the grocery store. I used to get dressed up to go to the grocery store in Dallas. Like, I don't get dressed up for anything now. I don't put on makeup on the weekends now, right? And nobody cares. And that's the Austin vibe I fell in love with. Is Austin changing? Absolutely. But the people, for the most part, the ones who are raised here and from here are the same, right? I knew then that I was going to come back and work here. I even told my supervisor at, at the station I was interning at the time, I'm like, I'm going to come back and work for you. And sure enough, I did. So this is exactly the place I want to raise a family, not Dallas. No, no shade to Dallas, but I already did that, right? I did that. Thank you, but no thank you. I will say my my little heart here is really proud of you for saying that because I'm from Houston. So I was born to, like I I have to hate Dallas, right? Like we're just yeah, we're just, we have to hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, she she <laughs> Dallas is, you know, whatever. So I'm just kind of <laughs> enjoying I don't this. hate Dallas. I just don't want to live there. Yeah. Right? I've already done it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously, we all have chosen Austin to be home. I think we're very protective of this city and are very fond of it, right? Like, I, I similar to you, I just find, like, the people in the community and are authentic and real and hope to preserve that. But obviously, we have fears that as outsiders, you know, like, out-of-state... Californian! Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it, I feel terrible that we always make fun of them, but it is... Because it's fear. It's like we want to preserve this Austin that at least in our minds we're nostalgic about and, and feel like is the heart of what Austin is. But yeah, I think that's so interesting. I'm I'm also kind of curious and like as you've navigated your career and continue to, obviously you you have a great career continued ahead of you. When you look back is there something that's top of mind where you're like, I would love for people to know this is who I was as, as a storyteller, as a journalist. This is my kind of 
what I would like to be known for. I think I want people, if today's my last day on earth, I just want people to remember me as someone who always sought out the truth, who always fought for the little guy, holding the power to account. That's always important. Doing the best we can, just like you said, making connections, trying to help, trying to just be out in the community so they know that we're there too. We're just not on TV. I'm your neighbor. And so when I come and talk to you, it really is because I live here. I want to better where we live, right? So I think I just want people to know I did the best I can. We have a couple, like one more question before we move into some rapid fire questions. And so we like to check in with our guests. Uh, obviously, this podcast is Asian in Austin. And what is your relationship with your ethnic background today? What does that mean to you? You know, it's changed and evolved. I am more comfortable with it. Growing up, I wasn't so comfortable with it, right? Being different in Dallas, oh my God, what a fear, right? Because I was one of a handful of Asians. Me, Danny Wong, Jennifer Wong. And I think someone else named Jennifer Lee. Like, we weren't really creative with names, right? <laughs> but like, so we talk about just how that focus is on us to represent such a huge community. Um, so there's that pressure. But yeah, uh, now I'm much more comfortable, even though I can't speak Cantonese. I can only understand Cantonese. I have such a Southern accent on my Chinese that my family, like, don't talk. Please don't talk. It sounds, don't talk in public. It's embarrassing. <laughs> so, uh -huh. but now I appreciate it. Right now I seek it. But before I'm like, oh, no, do we really have to wear slippers inside the house? We have to put our hands on the table when we're eating rice. Come on. But now I'm trying to teach my son that, right? Did you guys get in trouble when you didn't have your hands on the table? I know I did. Yeah, definitely. There's little things about like Vietnamese culture and I, maybe some others too, I imagine, but just like always inviting the elders to eat first, just even if it's not like they're not even hungry, they're not even at the table. It's like, you just have to do it before you can take your first bite. So there's stuff like that, that definitely we would get in trouble for if if we didn't do that. Yeah, we had to acknowledge everybody in the room. <laughs> Once you walk in, you have to just like acknowledge everyone and call everybody by the appropriate title and name. Yeah, I know. I would trip up a lot on that. <laughs> yeah. Are you my, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Are any of these things that you've um, maybe instilled with your son or where? Yeah, I'm curious if you've taught him any. My husband is Caucasian, so my son is what we call Asian. He's white and he's Asian, right? So he's a mix of both, and he's growing up here. And early on, I did teach him a little bit of the Chinese I knew. I regret not enrolling him in like a Chinese class. I think we looked into it, and I forgot what happened, but. There, yeah, he doesn't have that connection because I have family in Dallas and Houston, and we don't travel as much. And he has such a craving for family that I do regret not doing more to connect him. Like we have relatives in New York City, too. It's really hard for all of us to get together. So I, I, I wished when he was younger, we could have had more interactions that I would have made more of an effort because, you know, saying you're busy. Everyone's always busy. I, I should have taken more an active role in trying to connect. But he does recognize 
his background, probably not as much as I would like. And that's my fault, again, because I'm not taking him to go see his grandfather in Houston because Pearland's so far away. Why is Pearland so far? And it's Pearland. Not like he's living really close. But yes, I wish I could. That's I wish fair. I could There's always that still time, bit. you know? And no, I think that's true. people's relationship to their identity, as we've shared too, evolves and changes over time and you know you go you zig and you zag and then you find your way and so you know we're sending good energy Thank either you. way yeah he doesn't understand why we're slippers in the house so <laughs> yeah i'm like okay <laughs> maybe this, this episode will spark some curiosity for him <laughs> well he wants yeezys i'm like i'm not buying yeezys for you to wear inside oh, the house gosh. <laughs> he's yeah. a kanye west fan what did i do <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny is that a failure or is that a success i don't know kanye is a creative person we'll just leave it at that he's very he creative. Calls him creative genius mom i'm sorry mom he's a creative genius he's 13 and his voice is really low like this <laughs> if you ever meet him he's like this tall mom what are you doing <laughs> i love him but that's why he sounds like. that's so funny yes there's definitely time you'll i had my own relationship to my identity in which I kind of whitewashed myself. I talked about this in the podcast and it was only until I was like in my like 17, 18 that I got really curious about my parents' story and it changed a lot to hear kind of, you know, what that that was like. And so there's there's time. There's time. Similar path. Yeah, I totally whitewashed uh, myself in high school. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it happens, but we 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 learn and we grow mm. and we reclaim. Yeah, because acceptance is a powerful thing, right? You just want yeah. it to fit in and be accepted. And 100%. You don't want to be othered and feel different. And yeah. I think this is the beautiful thing about what we're trying to do with this podcast, what you're doing in, in sharing your story and the, the stuff that you're doing with investigative journalism and just being a face out there. So it's really, really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into some rapid fire. So the first thing that comes into your mind when we ask these questions, but what's one of your favorite Asian restaurants in Austin? Okay, I can't just name one. I think that's unfair. So let me just give you a couple. Kome, are y'all familiar with Kome off airport? I love the owners, they're so nice. Coco's Cafe, so I go from Japanese to Taiwan. Classic, <laughs> that, yeah. Right? It, it, that's pretty good too. So and on that little bit higher end, like Chi Austin on 6th Street, is really good too so those are a few i'm sure there are more fortune when it was around and you know love dim sum but fortune's yeah. not around anymore so if you know of a good place to eat dim sum let me know because there isn't any place <laughs> right yeah thank you i'm like where are the chinese see this is where houston beats dallas they have the best chinese food Jenny, you, I'm already a big fan, but the more we talk, I'm like, I, I love this woman. So, I mean, you know, I'm from Houston. I gripe about this all the time with men. I'm like, I'm sorry, the Asian food is terrible here. I'm from Houston. It's amazing. I just shot it all the time. <laughs> because, I mean, where is it? Yeah. And so H Mart is opening up. So I can't wait for that. Yeah. And there's that area off of North Lamar. What is it called? Where they have that. Oh, now I'm drawing like the yeah, like Then yes, yes. Well, no, not, not Chinatown. Chinatown is good, but even more middle central Austin, North Lamar. 
Oh, by 99 Ranch? Yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that's a the nice... Highland area. Yeah, oh yes, my God, thank it's blown you. up. Thank you. So crazy. Yeah, it's always nice... busy. Yeah. Yes. At 88, like, bakery, it's mm -hmm. always busy. They never have my, like, custard <laughs> because everyone buys it up. I'm like, oh. But yeah. Yeah. the best new place in that complex is, I don't know if you eat hot pot, but soup leaf is always packed. Is Great. It? Is yeah. It? yeah. There's so many places that I need to try. So, yeah. And speaking of little custards or snacks, what's one of your favorite Asian snacks that you had growing up? I got I had several. So I was thinking about this. Remember squid jerky? Yeah. Like, that's gross, but I loved it. That, and I don't know the name of it, but the, round red coins the candies yeah. i don't know what that's called but i ate those like they kind of just disintegrate snack. in your mouth yeah. yes yeah and of course pockies my son loves pockies right now chocolate please nice. but yeah those were really oh and shrimp chips like i have all the weirdest stuff <laughs> oh no those are classics i definitely I love love them. Those. yeah yeah i still eat them not as much because my husband complains it smells <laughs> it does it does smell but i but don't need it it's good it's so good so yeah. good and the last one what's uh one of your favorite austin pastimes what do you do on your free time i like to try new austin restaurants right there is a new restaurant opening up like every day i'm not even like lying that's just or exaggerating there's always a new place i haven't tried all the places but we're really lucky to have such a great like landscape of all different kinds of restaurants, right? So that's what I love to do. Just try go out, try new places. I do, when the weather permits, I do like to hit the trails and hit outside. Jenny, it's been so great to have you on the podcast and get so to know- So much fun talking to you guys. About your story. So yeah, we just really appreciate you spending some time with Absolutely. us. I'm honored you asked to do this. This was fun and terrific. Man, I feel like I have so much respect for journalists and obviously Jenny specifically, I, just remembering how hard it can be to separate like your career, your professional life with your personal life. Obviously, there's just, I think Jenny mentioned, there's there's a lot of overlap, right? You bring yourself to these stories, to these moments, especially in what she specifically does. So I just really appreciate also that she kind of called out that she carves out time for herself, like self-care Saturday. You know, I'm a big, big, big fan and recognize that everybody should really be be taking care of their mental health. Yeah. I mean, I talk about too, like how important work-life balance is for me, but like the work that I do sometimes as it relates to her work, like she's so in it. She's so in these stories that can be really uplifting and happy, but then it could be pretty challenging that she kind of shared as some of the stories that she did while we were talking. But yeah, I think that balance in any profession or any industry is really important. And obviously, you're, you're going to have to, depending on what the subject matter that you're dealing with is, will inform how big of a self-care Saturday that you do. <laughs> well, we really appreciate Jenny coming on the show. That was a little bit of a fanboy moment for me, as you heard just growing up and and seeing Jenny on the screen representing. So we really appreciate her being on the show and y'all for listening.
So, Sandra, this is our last episode of the season. We did it. Congratulations to you and me. Us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are you? How are you feeling? It feels good. I'm glad we were able to do another season of this. You know, it honestly flies by. Like I have people ask and like, how's the podcast? And I'm like, wow, we are wrapping up season two. That's two full years that we've invested in this. It's just flown by. But yeah, so proud of us, of course, as always, another season of incredible guests that really have taught us so much that I feel very privileged to have been able to learn a little bit more about, have them share their experiences. And yeah, just feeling grateful wrapping up this year. I, you know, I get very nostalgic at the end of the year and very reflective. So yeah. Yeah, I want to do a huge shout out to all of our guests. The people that we've brought on for the last two years have been really inspiring and just hopefully a good like mixture and representation of the different lives that are being lived here in Austin, Texas by our fellow brothers and sisters. But yeah, I'm just I'm really happy with being able to do this project with you and continuing to practice self-care just like Jenny and you know, we did this season a little bit differently and it felt good to do that. And we'll discuss, you know, what what feels good for next season and next year. But we'll keep y'all updated and hope y'all have a great rest of the year. Yeah. See you next time. This project is supported in part by the City of Austin Economic Development Department.